Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by Australian professional triathlete Natalie Van Coeverden. Natalie has made her name as a short course triathlete on the WTS circuit, including a podium at WTS Abu Dhabi. She stood on the second step twice at Noosa Triathlon, one of them with a sprint finish for the ages. Natalie has also shown heaps of promise when she stepped up to racing long distance triathlons with multiple podiums. Nat, thanks for joining me. What's on your plan for training today? No, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I actually just got back from swimming. So yeah, just did a pretty cruisy, um, yeah, three kilometer swim just out the morning. Um, I'm actually in Mallorca at the moment, so I'm still exploring. So we're going to go out for like a two hour ride and just explore some new roads. And then, yeah, just another easy run um, this afternoon. I'm not back on schedule yet after the off season. So yeah, just making the most of being in a new, a new place over here. Yeah. What, what brings you to Mallorca? Um, the nice weather, I suppose. Um, being in Europe this time of year, it's it's pretty hard to find some sunshine um, and some warmth. So uh, I actually came here for a holiday and then I liked it so much that we're going to stay for another three weeks um, to start the pre-season. So yeah, just yeah, exploring a new place. And I think that's a really great stimulus uh, for this time of year. And are you there with a the squad or are you there by yourself? I'm here just with one other um, one other squad member. Uh, this time of year, we, we don't have to be in a structured group. We can still be on schedule, but just yeah, wherever you like, if that's home or um, with somebody else. So yeah, it's nice to have one other person um, to yeah explore and get back onto training with. Yeah, and um, so you're you're sort of just coming off your off season and, and getting back into things. So um, what does what does this block that you you're doing at the moment look like? For this sort of block, it's more just trying to build back up from basically doing not much for a couple of weeks. We try and get back into, I suppose, that feel for the water, really. Um, some steady efforts, um, probably on the bike and the run. Um, yeah, not not big amounts of training, but yeah, just getting back into the rhythm of being on a schedule and yeah, getting that feel for getting ready for doing some race pace sort of work. Yeah. And, and how long was your off season before that? Um, I've had about three weeks of um, doing not much. Unfortunately, I got quite sick uh, during my off season, so I had some forced downtime. But yeah, definitely after Abby Derby was yeah definitely time to call it call it a year. It was been quite a long year, so I think yeah the body needed a bit more rest um, than normal. Yeah, let's um let's maybe do like a bit of a dive into your year because you've had an eventful year uh, from the outside looking in. Yeah, yeah. I guess your big goal for the year was was Tokyo, the Olympics, um, which like pretty crazily you didn't get uh, selected for in the end. But was your was all your training sort of the early part of the year just targeted at that? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can even say that the past eighteen months was targeted at, at Tokyo because we had to really dial into the whole heat prep situation we had to do for Tokyo. So yeah, definitely. I think it's not only the past, the six months, I suppose, leading into Tokyo to start the year. It was, yeah, definitely nearly yeah 18 months worth of work. Yeah. So that's obviously like a big period to talk about, but maybe if we go back to, to sort of the start of that 18 months, um, what does it look like when you go, okay, I've got the Olympics in like on the horizon, uh, they're a year and a half away. What, what, like, what does your training look like when you're, when you're starting that? Is it all about targeting races so that you get selected for the games or, or is there specific things you're always doing to try and prepare yourself for the games? Uh, I think it's a mixture really, um, in training. Yeah. Like I said, we, 
we really tried to dial into that heat sort of work because we knew what the conditions were going to be like in Tokyo, especially after the test event. Um, we really had a good idea of um, what it was going to be like. But yeah, I suppose we had COVID that hit early 2020. So I actually came home to race Malulaba because that was the only race at that time that I could really show like I was in good shape um, leading into the games. But yeah, then the games obviously got cancelled. So I made that decision mid-2020 to come back overseas and to race because I knew there was plenty of opportunities to race over here. And I was the only one that really decided to do that. And then, yeah, like you said, as far as this start of this year, yeah, I tried to obviously race again to prove myself for the Olympic team. Um, But yeah, in the end, yeah, in some way I got punished for making that decision. So yeah, it's been a physically and mentally quite draining uh, process leading into these games. Yeah. Okay. So do you think that that part of the reason you weren't picked is because you chose to go overseas and, and didn't stay home sort of in the eye of the selectors? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think that was, they might not say that, but from what I know and how I was treated and how I was, I suppose, um, the race that I decided to do, um, I think that played a definite big part because I went against the grain. Um, I chose to be here and from my perspective, um, it's my job. It's what I needed to do to prove that I was racing the best and I could race the best and be competitive. Um, and yeah, I think you can see that a lot of Australians didn't do that and they just raced domestically leading into the games, which I think was the big downfall. And I think it really showed at the games that we didn't have that all the people that raced at the Olympics didn't have that experience against the, the racing level that it is now, because I think if you don't race at the WTS or World Cup level, um, yeah, you really, you really can't see or you really can't know like what the level is because it continuously changes. So yeah, I think that was a major factor in um, in why. Yeah, and just off the top of my head, I like this is uh, I haven't done any research, but but obviously I watch a lot of the sport. I reckon that you would have raced probably five or six times in like high level WTS um races and I reckon you would have come top 20 if not top 15 in almost all of those races wouldn't you uh yeah for sure I think um especially leading into the games and I suppose even watching the games I I thought I had a pretty good chance of maybe even getting a top 10 um I think the games played out in a way that would have favored me and a lot of the racing now you can definitely see in the females it it really favors that's if you can swim it it really pays off now I think the women's racing has become more dynamic so yeah, it's a bit unfortunate, but yeah, I've definitely um, proved myself I can be in that top range of the women's racing. Yeah, I don't think there's anyone who follows the sport in Australia or probably even overseas who follows it closely enough who who disagrees that that you should have been uh, on the start line there. And, and yeah, the, like when I was watching it, um, I couldn't help but think, I thought, oh, I reckon Natalie might have even been our, our highest finishing uh athlete here if she if she actually had been on the start line so I do feel for you um and and completely agree with what you're saying yeah thank you yeah I got a lot of I didn't get one negative message pre or post Olympic Games sort of um, when it all sort of happened so yeah I really appreciate the support that everyone had and yeah now it's time to obviously start that journey towards Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games and um, trying to get away from that discretionary side of selection and yeah, try and put automatics so then it gets rid of all this other chaos, I suppose. So yeah. 
Yeah. I want to, I want to come back and we're going to, we're going to come back and talk about your training leading into the games, but, but I'm just really fascinated by this because, um, you know, I've seen some stuff on social media and, and heard about it, but, but talking to you about it is obviously, um, is obviously going to really give me some insight. Is your plan going forward now to, to continue that, you know, com games, Olympics, um, like it sort of didn't jade you to the point where you're just going to move on and do your own thing in long course? Uh, no, I think I'm, I know where I'm at personally in my career. And I think no matter what people said during that sort of process, I think I've really improved and I've, I've shown that I've improved in my racing and I know I still have a lot more improvement to go, but I think I'm definitely still competitive in the short course racing. And I think now that the Commonwealth games in Paris is not that long away, I think it's a great opportunity to still stay within um, this sort of realm of racing, but yeah, definitely. Um, cause I've done some other racing like the 70.3 and some non-drafting. I definitely would like to dabble in that a bit further, but yeah, with all this sort of happened, I, I questioned the purpose. I questioned why was I doing it all? What, why was I putting myself through all this stress to not get selected when I thought I had a pretty good opportunity to do so. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely questioned a few things, um, in that sort of period because I think, like I said before, it wasn't, it's not just like one day of not getting selected. It's the 18 months prior of the work and it's the the two months post watching the Olympic games and even trying to race after, um, not getting selected is hard. So yeah, I think, um, the mental side of this took me a while to get over, but, um, yeah, I definitely want to continue towards, um, some bigger goals in short course racing. Okay. Awesome. That's good to hear. Um, we won't go into that too much more because, because what I'm really um, keen to hear about is, is, is what makes you, you. So yeah, let's, let's go into the build that, that was the lead up into, uh, into Tokyo and, and specifically how your training was going. So did you do like a targeted, you know, eight week, 12 week block, something like that leading up to the games that was just to prepare for the games? Yeah. I suppose the start of the year, um, I was in Portugal with my group and, from I'd probably say middle of January till when we started to race in Yokohama, we really targeted, um, I suppose the Olympic distance because that's was, I suppose the next three sort of racings that we had. And I knew that obviously the Olympics is Olympic distance. So I thought, well, we kind of plan like if I can prove myself over that sort of distance and yeah, it's not as a selector, it should be a good sort of way to move forward. Um, but yeah, we definitely incorporated, yeah, the heat training, um, and yeah, Pacific workouts in that sort of period. Um, and we did, yeah, I mean, there's not much racing that time of year for us. We couldn't really race till May, which is kind of unusual because we normally race, um, a bit earlier on in Abu Dhabi. So I think yeah, last year, maybe even more so, um, having four months consistent training was probably a great way to start the year. Yeah. And inside that four months was, um, is like the average week pretty similar week in week out or, or, um, how did it, how did it vary throughout that four months? Uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty similar to be honest. Um, so I was, I, last year was my first sort of year full time, I suppose, with my new coach, um, Paolo. So we had yeah some pretty consistent weeks, probably from like 25 to 30 hours, I would say. And yeah, they all looked, all looked pretty similar, but yeah, it was definitely a build a progressive build, I suppose, um, especially in leading into April where I think we really, really knuckled down now that we knew that races were going to happen in, happen in May. So yeah, it was a progressive build, I think, um, throughout those weeks. I think something like I'm learning from, uh, from talking to people while doing this podcast is that short course triathletes potentially train more hours in a week than long course triathletes, which 
might sound quite crazy from the outside, but but that's uh, that sort of seems to be the general theme. So in that in that block of twenty five to thirty hours hour weeks, just week in week out. Um, how does it actually look sort of what, what kind of swimming numbers are you doing bike run? Uh, yeah. So for me, um, I tend to only swim five times a week. Um, and it kind of ranges between, yeah, four and a half to five kilometers, um, a session, um, and generally two hard sessions a week, um, built into that, um, running, I'm quite lucky with injuries and stuff. So I'm not lucky, but that. I've, yeah, I've been, got myself to be lucky that I run probably around that like 70 to 80 kilometer a week sort of mark. And um, again, we do that two to three hard sessions a week running wise, um, maybe one on the track and then one more of like a tempo um, sort of session, build session. And then on the bike, um, yeah, also maybe quite similar. We do that two to three hard sessions a week. And then everything else around that is just um, easy riding. And I also incorporate two sessions of gym a week, um, which take between like that hour to 75 minutes sort of mark um, between lifting and plyometrics. So, yeah, a big combination of things. Um, some days are bigger than others, but yeah, generally two, two easier days a week and the rest is uh, quite solid. Yeah. Okay. So you're obviously, um, I, I, I'm assuming you pride yourself on your swim and you're really well known for just how strong a swimmer you are. Um, are you swimming with people in your squad that, that are as good as you, or is that something you sort of struggled with and, and with your sessions, um, like what, what do some main sets look like for you, uh, in your, in your harder swims? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm actually at the, nearly at the back of the lane for my hard swims sometimes because we have such, so many good swimmers. And I think, Personally, I think I'm a bit better in the open water than what I am in the pool um, because my tumble turns are absolutely awful. So (laughs) I lose a lot of time. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone's, that's why I joined the squad that I'm in because I have people that can push me um, every day to be better. Um, So yeah, there's definitely no no people that are weak um, within our group. But yeah, hard swim is normally um, somewhere around that two and a half to three kilometer main session um, with some threshold swimming, some fast fifties. Yeah. So I suppose an example would be maybe six fifties, like full gas um, on the one minute 30. And then we do some maybe five times two hundreds like threshold off the back of that and do that maybe twice through. So yeah, it's a combination of things to get us ready for that front end of the swim and also to maintain that threshold sort of level post um, diving off the blocks. So yeah, it's probably one of my favorite great things to do because I grew up swimming. So yeah, I really love being in the water. Yeah, there's some big sessions. Um, who who are some of the people that that you're training with at the moment? Um, I train with Summer Cook, uh, Taylor Spivey, Claire Michelle, Valerie Bartholomew. Yeah, we have lots of lots of people from all over the world, from Spanish, Estonian, Belgium, yeah, Japanese, Yuko Takashi. So yeah, we have a lot of people um, in our group. So. Yeah, I'm really lucky that we have that variety. That is a, a super strong squad. Um, yeah, and uh, like I've talking to some of the the other girls um, about things is they struggle to train with with other really high level girls because they're sort of just all over the place. So they end up just training with um with a lot of the guys in their group. But that's one of the strongest sort of female training groups you'll ever get. Yeah, I think that's why it really drawed me to that group um, when I left my old my old training environment because I knew there was so many girls and I think having that luxury is that there's always someone to do something with. And, um, I think I go off the analogy, like if you're the best in the room, then you're really in the wrong room. 
And I think we're at that age now that we're all that like high twenties that we're not there to race anymore. Like no one's racing each other. We're all there to get the most out of every session together. So I think, yeah, you definitely find your people within the group that um, you do most of your sessions with, or Carly puts up with, puts us with people that he knows we can work well with. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, we're now at that level that we just, yeah, try and use each other to our benefit rather than having every session as a, as a race. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's like something that, that everyone can learn something from, not just in, in triathlon or, or their sport of choice, but just life in general. And, and I also love that, that quote that if you're, if you're the best person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I think, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's great. Um, and then with your, with your bike, uh, particularly in that, that four month block in the lead up to Tokyo, what was a, a typical week looking like in, in a bit more detail? Um, yeah, so I suppose we ride probably like five times a week um, from sort of memory. Um, we did like some pretty intense solid hill sessions um, and some pace line sort of work. Um, so yeah, maybe you could say like eight time, or eight minutes times five um, solid hills or um, on Sunday we'd have a big bike Sunday we would call it. So um, my coach would pick, we're quite lucky in Portugal, we have some really like longer sort of climbs. So we might do like an eight minute climb, descend, then a 10 minute climb and then 12 minute climb, like all just sort of like steady to solid sort of work. Um, and then we descend back down and do four times eight minute pace line sort of works with a group. So yeah, they turned into being like three and a half hour sort of sessions on a Sunday. So yeah, that was a pretty hard way to end the week, but um, I think I got a lot out of those sessions. And, um, and with those sessions, are you guys, is it just the same group again? Are you, are you always training with that same group of girls on the swim, ride and run? Yeah. I mean, I think it tends to be a little bit different. Like everyone kind of, I don't train with the same people all the time. Um, I think especially on these bikes, sort of sessions, we might start together or someone might be like, Oh, do you want to ride with me today or something? So I think there's plenty of variety you kind of, yeah, again, you find your people, um, probably like never tends to he always puts out to people we know we can get the most out of the session with or like, or we can, yeah, again, we can choose, but yeah, we, or you can ride by yourself, even if you really want to, um, there's no, no forcing you. Um, sometimes you don't, you don't need to be with someone else, but yeah, yes, there's plenty of people to do something with again. So I think, um, that's the luxury that we have in such a big group. Yeah. And, and you personally, um, in, in that block, what was your sort of favorite bike session that you did? I think we did like the same hill for possibly two months, I think. And by the end, I knew every inch of that three and a half minute hill. <laughs> but I could, by every week or every every session, I, I could see myself improving and my power was getting better. And by the end, I could stay with one of the girls that I couldn't stay with when we first started. So it was really great for me to see that sort of progress. And I think I like that, like having that stability across um, maybe six to eight weeks because yeah, you can really see in yourself like how you're getting better and how you're improving, um, not only by power, but sometimes just having the ability to say with someone you couldn't before. So, or maybe pulling a longer turn um, with someone that you're with. So yeah, I think I, I really like that consistency across the block. Yeah. And, and in those five sessions, um, how much sort of total mileage would that be um, week to week? Um, I think most weeks we're probably riding around that like the 300 to 350 sort of mark um, was a pretty, yeah, a pretty normal sort of week for us. Yeah, with with Paolo, we tend to do, I think, like after a session, we'd ride for another hour or so after we'd finished the session. So a lot of our 
quality sort of work, um, even though the quality of work might only be, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, um, we still have two and a half hour rides. So yeah, the numbers tend to add up um, quite easily in the week. Yeah. And would any of your rides just be easy rides or are you doing some sort of um, intensity in, in all of your sessions? Oh no, definitely, definitely easy. I mean, yeah, you can ride as easy or as not as hard, but like a bit more steady, I suppose, in the easy ride as you want. But I suppose having the luxury of like the hills and the terrain that we have in these sort of places, um, yeah, the rides tend to be a bit on the harder side just because of the the way that it is. But yeah, definitely, definitely some crazy. Yeah. And and then onto the run during that block, uh, what was, what was your average week looking like there? Um, yeah, I think between that, yeah, the 60 to 80 sort of mark, we did some pretty decent sort of track sessions in those sort of period. And I think, yeah, sometimes we're running, yeah, that 10 to 12 K I think on the track for some sessions. So yeah, it definitely turned into maybe like a, and a lot of those days are also double run days. So they turn into like the, the 24, 25 kilometer run, um, which was pretty decent. Um, you sleep well at night time after those sort of sessions. Um, but yeah, we definitely, I think, yeah, now that we do it, we have like, um, we don't tend to do a long run in a week. The sessions tend to be the long runs, which is what I kind of like. We have two bigger days and then the rest are just, um, either maybe some hill strides at the end of an easy run or the rest are just pure easy. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting because this is like, there's a, there's quite a few ways where, where triathletes differ from, from actual runners in the way they structure their, their running week. Um, and what you've, you've said there just really, um, grabbed my interest. So you're, you wouldn't have, um, ever have like a, a day that was a designated long run day where you go and run 90 to two hours easy. Um, your longer runs would be in sessions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my previous coach, I, like my Sunday was just a 90 minute long run or a bit longer or shorter, I give or take, but yeah, now with my, with my new coach, um, yeah, the sessions, the sessions are technically the long runs because if you do a tempo run, that's 12 K just say by the time you warm up and cool down, it turns into nearly 18, 19 K in itself. Um, which I think I like because I think, yeah, with, with a longer run, um, sometimes I think you actually lose your form or you lose a bit of the way that you would normally, normally flow with your running because like your cadence starts dropping when you get a bit tired, your form starts to lose it. So in these sort of sessions, I think we keep a bit more focused um, and a bit more on task. Um, and yeah, for us, I suppose compared to runners, we, I run my easy runs no faster than five kilometers, uh, five minute kilometers. Sorry. So um, yeah, we're definitely keeping our, easy runs easy and our hard runs um hard yeah okay i, I gotta unpack this because this is uh this is really interesting so um would you did you say you would be doing two or three sessions per week um and were they all on the track including like your tempo work and that sort of thing and uh, no no just the just one session a week would generally be on the track um i mean it can range from doing 12 400s um at 5k sort of pace or a bit faster to you know, maybe um 800 meters times 10, um, with like a bit of recovery, 200 meters recovery, just say that. Yeah. So there's a broad range of what we could do on the track. Uh, but then the tempo run would definitely like be on a trail or be on the road because yeah, 40 minutes or 45 minutes of steady running, um, is definitely better like on that sort of environment. And then yeah, getting closer to racing, we're doing like just some short running off the bike. So yeah, a mixture of, a mixture of things. 
Yeah. Okay. So in that block, in that four month block, um, do you do a brick or multiple bricks every week or, or like you, you just sort of, I think you hinted at then that only started to come into things, um, a little later in the block. Yeah. I think probably also with COVID, we didn't really know when racing was going to happen. So we had to kind of start the year as if racing was going to happen, but also a bit more like timidly, I suppose, because we didn't, we hoped that it was going to start in May, but yeah, we didn't really know yet either. So um yeah just towards maybe the end we started doing it but we don't tend to do that many brick sessions um we just yeah just every so often um we did it so yeah maybe not as regularly as what people think yeah and and when you do do a brick um what does it sort of look like um we were doing it i suppose off like a a, that big bike sunday i was talking about like we do the pace line efforts and then transition put shoes on and then go for a short little effort i suppose um, and then we get back on the bike and do the pace line efforts and then go again. So yeah, nothing major, just kind of get that, the feel of running off the bike again, especially after we hadn't raced in such a long time. Um, yeah, I think it was pretty important to get that feeling back because I think everyone knows if you haven't raced in a long time, um, you definitely feel a bit rusty the first few times you're on off the bike. Uh, it feels really unnatural. So I think it's, yeah, quite key, um, to add that in leading towards races. And um, when you do your bricks, um, are you wearing your your race running shoes um, every time you do a brick? I mean, it depends if, I mean, if the transition part of it is integral, then yeah, for sure. Like it's important, but um, if it's a longer sort of session as a post brick, I would definitely just wear my normal running shoes. Um, I wear orthotics in my shoes. So um, for me, it's quite important to have that sort of support. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, not as important it's always maybe to do one rep maybe with the race shoes and then the rest of it normal shoes because yeah, I think a lot of us know like they're not that supportive. These new race shoes that have come out, like running in carbon all the time is not so great. So yeah, I think to run, yeah, a mixture, a mixture of both. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious about that. What, what is the the shoe that you're wearing to, to race in um, and doing your sessions in at the moment? I've actually kind of floated between shoes, I suppose, when the Alpha Flies first kind of came out, I, I wanted to try them because it was the new the new big thing. But um, I don't think they're the best shoes for triathlon. Um, so now that I've, I've kind of gone back to the, um, I kind of float between the Nike um, Next Descent and the new Asics. I think it's a Sky Racer maybe, I think it's called. Yeah, the Metaspeed Sky. Yeah, Metaspeed, yeah. Um, yeah, I like both of them. They're quite easy to get on in transition um, because they have that tongue like the tongue of the shoe to put on quite fast. So, um, yeah. And I think they feel a bit more, a bit more natural, I suppose, running than what the Alpha Fly did. Yeah. And, and would you wear one of those two shoes, no matter what distance you raced at the moment? I mean, I think the, the Asics feels like more of a, an old school shoe, I would say. Um, it doesn't feel as it has this funny plate on the bottom and it feels like it has a bit more rigid support, which I think if there's a lot of U-turns and corners within the course, um, I think it, it feels better because you're not kind of hold yourself up when you're trying to run. Um, so yeah, either shoe, either shoe really. Yeah. Um, just changing tack a little bit. So you've sort of talked about how you're in a, in a new squad at the moment. Was this, um, was this the first year that you've been in that squad? Uh, I joined at the end of 2019, but yeah, with COVID, um, I did, two months with my new squad in 2020 and then um yeah I came back to Australia to race and then obviously didn't leave um for four months so 
yeah, and then the whole of 2020, um, just with COVID restrictions and stuff, um, everyone kind of just did their own thing. So yeah, this year was um, the real first year, I suppose, well, kind of the real first year. Yeah, I got with my group um, for most of the year. And, um, and what, what squad were you with before that, um, before that change? I was in an Australian group with Jamie Turner um, for eight years before that. So, um, yeah, that was my whole group. Eight years is a, is a long stint with the, the one training group. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, it was very, it always, the group always kind of changed um, depending on who was coming into the group. We had a lot of internationals. Um, then it turned to more Australian. Then we had more international. So it was kind of nice. It never was just the same group. Um, we had a lot of people come through and we had people like Gwen that I used to train with. Um, we had some Canadians. We had, yeah, a mixture of people. So I think that was, yeah, why it was such a great stimulus for many years because we did have that that flow of different people um, through Olympic cycles. Uh, and how does, how does your training compare now in your current squad compared to what it was with Jamie Turner in, in your last squad? Um, when I was with Jamie, we did, uh, a lot of actually high intensity. My training load was a lot lower. I was swimming a lot less, riding a less, and also running a lot uh, less, but a little bit similar, um, to what I am now, um, where with Paolo, we tend to do a lot more volume. And I think in some way or another, I think both ways were worked for me. Um, but I've definitely seen improvements changing and having a bit more and having a new stimulus and, um, I think it just takes yeah time to get used to either, but I can definitely see that some athletes like either one way or the other. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so do you think like moving forward, um, would you ever go back to the, the, the kind of training where you're doing overall less volume with, you know, higher intensity, or have you found that, that you've really enjoyed the, the new way of training? Uh, I think for, for me seeing like the way that my swim has improved over the past year, um, I think I couldn't go back to what I was doing before because I wasn't swimming as consistently in my racing. I had some really good swimming results and then the next race I would be back of the middle group. So um, I think definitely now I can see the way that, that Paolo has us training um, is definitely the way I need to move forward in that sort of sense. Um, and yeah, I think everything else has just taken time to get used to. But I think like before I was saying that if you go into a new environment, like um, changing a group after such a long period, you have to be very open and kind of in some way forget what you used to do and be all into this new group. So um, that's kind of the philosophy I've had um, kind of moving forward because if you don't be all into this new training and what you've, and always go back to what you did before, then you can't be fully engrossed in this new experience. So yeah, I've tried to, you remember what I did, but also like try and, adapt to this new way of training. Yeah. That's such a great way to look at things. Is there like a session that you used to do, um, that you like not even necessarily made you better, but you just used to really enjoy and love and look forward to that. You don't do anymore that you sort of wish you did occasionally. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's hard one. I mean, I liked many things that we did, of course, cause I think I did it for such a long time. You kind of get used to like a, the same sort of structure, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we used to do like this hour of power, I suppose, um, on a Saturday. And it was like um, four minutes on, one minute off for 10 times through. And then we used to do like 10 minutes all out to this finish line, um, which I really enjoyed because, yeah, it was kind of like a bit tactical and a bit uh, fun. And then 
Um, we used to literally get changed and then go do about like eight kilometer session off the bike. Um, and I think finishing that you had some, this like satisfactory feeling of laying on the floor after this hard Saturday and yeah, I kind of miss that sometimes, but yeah, I think that's just yeah, something I did for eight years nearly. So, um, that's what I kind of miss. Yeah. And, and cause you've spent like that, that squad that you were training with for eight years, like you said, it, it had some, um, some big names in it, um, and, and really high level athletes. And then hearing you talk about the girls you're training with at the moment, um, you've just trained with, with, with like the who's who really in the, the WTS scene. Um, is there someone who stands out to you as, as like a really, uh, hard trainer or that you sort of try and, um, model your own training on based off what you've seen training with them? In my new group or in my old group? Yeah, both. Oh, both? Um, I mean, there was plenty of people that were, I mean, looking at Gwen when she became Olympic champion, um, I definitely could see the way that she operated and the way that she did her training. Um, she was impeccable. Um, you couldn't floor Gwen in the way that she did things. And every session she used to come to, it was, I mean, as a young athlete, I was still 23 24 I think maybe so to watch what she was doing and to maybe um to try to do motor pacing sessions and to to swim with her and stuff was um was pretty cool because we're at kind of a similar sort of level um and I mean yeah she was um yeah incredible to have that ability to train with for four years but yeah being in our in our group now I think everybody has their I don't know. I think being around so many different people, you can see different things that, that I like and, and people that I can see that are yeah, fully engrossed into this whole um, next sort of Olympic cycle and stuff like this. So yeah, I don't think there's one person in our new group. I think there's too many people to choose from, but yeah, I think being with so many people over the years, you kind of pick up things and yeah, especially being in my other group for eight years when I was younger, I think I picked up more, more have a, performance behaviors, I suppose, of being surrounded by, um, this quality of people when I was younger. Yeah. And, and on that, um, cause we've obviously talked a lot about your training, but the, the way you talked about the, the way you do your gym sessions and, and hearing you talk about how you're, you've been pretty lucky. And then you sort of corrected yourself and said, well, it's not, not really lucky that you haven't been injury free. I sort of get the vibe that, that maybe you do, um, uh, like embrace and live the, the lifestyle of a professional athlete. Um, is there other stuff you do outside of your training that you think really makes a big impact on your performance? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, gym has been that integral part, um, to keep strong and injury free. And I think, um, I learned that after I had surgery in 2014 on my hip, but I think especially nutrition has played a major part, um, in the way that I've operated and got stronger and, um, had the ability to train more consistently because, yeah, from when you're young, I think you think you're a little bit invincible and you can get away with things um, and you can bonk on a three-hour ride and it's fine. But now I've learned like that it's really not okay. Um, you might as well have more snacks in your back pocket than too little. Um, stuff like I think and the way that you have to operate around training sessions to fuel for, before a training session, to fuel after a training session because it's not about fueling for the session today in the next few hours, it's about feeling for the session in two days time also. So yeah, I think nutrition, um, and yeah, also I think maybe psychology in some sort of way, um, are probably two other major, major parts that have played an important role in my triathlon career. Yeah. Okay. Really interesting. Um, with, with the nutrition, 
Um, what sort of stuff specifically maybe have you changed? So is it just eating more or is it the kind of stuff specifically you're eating? Um, like have you have you started eating more and you don't really care what it is or, or are you very sort of particular with what you do eat? Yeah, I'm not really particular at all, to be honest. Um, I think for us, like especially when I was with Jamie's group, he really drilled into us um, having stuff to eat post uh, post sessions because that was what was going to get us to do the best session possible um, in a few hours' time. So I think that was really, really ingrained in me from a young age. So I think that was um, a great environment to be involved in. But um, my nutritionist always said, like, we're here to build like an engine. So it's not about how much you eat really, but it's more about like maintaining that sort of maintaining that over a period of time really because I think now that the more that I eat the more my metabolism wants more and that's the way that yeah way it's kind of been so um I think we did we did some tests back at the AIS and even at rest um our body is burning 8,000 kilojoules so we have a day off and we're still burning 8,000 kilojoules which is a daily person's intake of food nearly so um, I think that's pretty eye-opening to see that our body is probably burning more than what you think. And on a high training day, you definitely have to consume more. And sometimes it means probably drinking calories rather than eating calories to try and top up on um, some extra nutrients. Yeah, that's um, that's that's so valuable, that information. And that's really valuable to people listening here because there is a bit of a culture of um, – of maybe trying to, to lose weight to perform in this sport. And like we sort of talked about um, in, in a previous episode with, with Tim Reid, there is a fine line that um, elite triathletes and, and elite endurance athletes walk between being sort of um, at a low enough weight that you're, that you're not losing performance, but not sort of going over that line and, and, and focusing on not eating and your performance suffering um, as a result of that. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I mean, I've been through it when I was um, 18 years old. I thought I would run faster if I lost a bit of weight and then it went downhill very, very quickly. And it took me a long time to build back up and to get into the, the mindset that I'm in now. Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, like we're always on that cusp of even getting sick if we're on the, if we're training really hard and on that bit of a leaner side of life. So um, yeah, if anyone's kind of listening, I think um, you can kind of see now that there's not just one body type or there's not just one way of being to be competitive in this sport. Um, everyone is so different and everyone performs differently. Um, so you can never compare yourself to other people. Um, and, and you sort of mentioned the psychology side, side of things as a, as a 1% of it that you really value. What kind, of, what kind of thing are you talking about when you say that? Um, I suppose for us, it's really the way that um, we look at racing and try not to overthink the way that we race. Um, I think it's all about, we write like a bit of a race plan, I suppose, but I, we talk about not putting it in too much depth because if you think about too much about what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes after you get out of the water, then I think you're already, already kind of lost the race because your mind's not in the moment. So yeah, we really talk about just trying to stay focused and like little cues, I suppose, to keep us, if something does go wrong, then um, we know what to instantaneously do rather than uh, to panic in that sort of moment within a race, which I think is more important probably within short course racing um, because, yeah, critical seconds can make us win or lose a, lose a race. So, 
Yeah. And, and do you have, um, like, is that something that you're working on every day or, or is it just that you have little cues that you say to yourself every now and then when you, when you find yourself, um, maybe slipping into a, into a mental state that you don't want to be in? Um, I wouldn't say every day, but definitely like if I've had a good session, then I try and think about like what made me have that good session. Um, so I think that's kind of important to reflect on those sort of things within the day. Um, but I think racing is probably the the major sort of one that we kind of look at because yeah, every sort of race, maybe a week before the race, I have a chat with like my psychologist and we just go through like, yeah, what I'm, how I'm feeling within the race. Like have I raced that race before? Do I know what I need to do? Stuff like this. So yeah, it's a, it's a progressive sort of uh, process. And I think you can be as much in as you want to be and as much out. And I think, yeah, like what I said before, like everyone's really different. I think everyone needs different things. So for me personally, that's like what I like to do, but I know other people that are, are definitely, um, yeah, be a bit more engrossed and like to do daily psychological, psychological work. Yeah. And apart from the, um, the diet and the, the psychological stuff you've talked about, um, is there other sort of 1% as you're, you're doing, like is sleep important to you? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think, um, probably being in Europe a bit longer now, I really appreciate the siesta life. Um, I love having a, afternoon nap um and I'm pretty known for how well I can nap so yeah I think um it's it's really important just to put your feet up and to yeah engage in that sort of um recovery when you can because when we train about 25 to 30 hours a week there's not much time left in the day so yeah you really have to make the most of that 90 minutes you have between sessions um to to recover and is that like an everyday thing that you would do, um, nap as a, as a way to, to sort of improve performance? Um, I don't think necessarily that you even have to nap. I think it's just having the ability to lie down and to just to relax and to forget about triathlon for a bit, I think is always kind of nice. Um, just to, it's physically and mentally time to just decompress, I suppose, at some point in the day. But I mean, some, some days I don't have time to have time to nap. I might have 30 minutes to to go lay down and do some emails or something. So yeah, I think it's just more of a time to have time to yourself, maybe um, away from the group structure and the schedule that you're on. Yeah. This is something I'm actually really interested in because for most people um, who, who aren't um, professional triathletes or professional athletes, they sort of, um, they squeeze in training everywhere where they can and, and they wish that they could leave work a little bit early or, or, you know, or miss that, that event they have to go to, to, to fit in more training. And, you know, for a lot of people, it, it, it means they wake up at four thirty to, to get a session session in before work. Um, but your life is obviously very different to that where everything is, is revolving around your training and you're, you're sort of, um, living in an environment that's surrounded by other professional athletes, um, and everything you do is about performance. So how much time do you sort of take to switch off? And, um, and inside that, what does it look like? What, what does, um, what does switching off and, and getting away from things actually look like for you? Yeah, I think like you said, like, uh, we're pretty lucky to live in the lifestyle that we do and I don't need to get up so early. Um, I can have that decent amount of sleep at nighttime at eight to nine hours. So, um, yeah, we really have to make the most of that, but yeah, I think you have to take the easy days as chill as possible. Um, I think you have to make the most of that because the other five days in the week are the, are the busy days. Um, but I mean, if we're in new places and it's always nice, um, to go and to go and see something or 
to be with my boyfriend or to my, maybe some people in my squad want to go somewhere. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it always just depends like where we are in the world, but, um, if it's nice weather to go lay on the beach, but yeah, sometimes you just want to be in bed. Um, so yeah, I think it's, there's many, there's many different ways, um, to decompress, uh, from a triathlon. And yeah, I think you just have to find, yeah, some people like being by themselves, other people like being with a group of people on their days off. So yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of ways to, to get away from a normal sort of life. Yeah. And, um, and just sort of to, to change it up again. So you're sort of just coming back into training now. What, what's your next big goal? What's the next big thing you're training for? Or is there multiple things, um, maybe in 2022 that you're training towards? Um, they're actually just released the Commonwealth Games, uh, policy. So how we can qualify for the Commonwealth Games. So that's kind of been a big like waiting game, I suppose, for this, um, to try and plan some early season racing because yeah, some domestic racing probably needs to happen. So I have to come back to Australia because I've been away for 18 months so far. So yeah, I have to come back and do some domestic racing there, but, um, yeah, the Commonwealth Games is definitely, um, the next like sort of major goal, but um, I'd also like to keep progressing within the series. Yeah. I'd like to, to move, move up in that sort of ranking um, and move up my own world ranking um, within the next year. I think that's always a, a really great goal to have for the new year. And going forward, looking towards the Commonwealth games and, and just consistent WTS racing. Um, have you sort of, do you sit down and talk with your coach and go, okay, this is what we want to achieve and, and this is how we're going to achieve it? Or is it sort of more of a case you just keep doing what you're already doing? Um, I think it depends on what the goal was. Like I suppose with the Olympics, um, I suppose we thought we knew what I had to do to qualify. So I think sometimes you can also get it right and wrong to have these goals moving forward. But yeah, it's definitely great to have open communication with your coach because you obviously have insight and they also do too. But yeah, sometimes. Um, I kind of say like what I think would be best. And then, yeah, we kind of have a discussion around that, but yeah, definitely need to see some what I tie with your coach or federation as such. Yeah. And is there anything specifically that you, you maybe you've thought about or you, you and your coach have decided that you're going to change in your training going forward to, to get the best out of yourself? Um, I think for me, um, I've always wanted to try and improve my running, um, especially to have that strength over the back end of my run has been like really important. And I think to just relax more in my running. Yeah. The past, uh, yeah, I suppose with the Olympics and stuff, um, I felt like we've kind of discussed that um, in some way I felt like I wasn't racing for myself. I was racing to prove something. So I think for the new year, I, the goal for me is to start racing for myself again um, and to have that belief that I do have the ability to, to race with the best and to be one of the best athletes in the world. So, um, yeah, that's probably a goal for the new year is to come more relaxed with my racing and to try and get rid of these other chaotic sort of, uh, thoughts that have come around some things that have happened over the past year. Yeah. It's a really positive way to look at what, like it certainly sounded like was a, was a really crazy year for you. <laughs> yeah. With that, um, you'd uh, like, like I said, sort of earlier in the, in the podcast, um, you've shown massive potential in long course triathlon. Like really you, you could have won, um, all of the, the long course races that you've done. I think, um, is that something you see in 2022 or is that more in the distant future? Um, I, every year I'm like, Oh, I'd, li I'd like to do a 70.3 again. Cause I think my last one was 
oh, maybe 2017, maybe, I think. So quite a while ago now, but um, I suppose Noose has kind of been the only one that's kind of given me a bit of a taste of non-drafting again, which I think always kind of like sparks that fire to do another one. But yeah, I just think it depends to see how the, how the schedule goes. I think next year where I have to race from end of February to the start of November. So yeah, just one goal at a time, but yeah, if I get the time to do so, I'd love to do another um, 7.3. Yeah. Awesome. Um, just a few more from, from me, Natalie. Um, when you like um, wake up in the morning, is there one session that, that you always without fail wake up and just you can't wait to get out in bed, bed and do or, or is that not the case? Um, it's Actually, it's kind of funny because we don't, when I'm with my group, um, we actually don't know the session until we actually physically come to training or maybe 30 minutes before the session actually starts. So a lot of the time I, I know that it's going to be a hard swim or I know it's going to be a hard bike or whatever, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know. So maybe it's like the anticipation. Um, I mean, I think you like, I mean, I, yeah, I love different sports in itself, but, um, yeah, I think cause you don't know, I don't really have that one sort of, yeah, I don't, I don't really have that urge to get out of bed. But that's wild. Especially like, I reckon every triathlete listening to this would find that, that really wild because mostly, uh, mostly the sport attracts sort of, uh, I'm not, 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 you know, maybe a little bit of a control freak type personality and yeah. um, always doing things in, in an exact way and being really particular about things. So I reckon that would drive a lot of people uh, up the wall. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a, also my old group, um, we just kind of like a basic sort of schedule for the day, like what time we we're doing what, but um, yeah, we never really knew the session. So but I think in some way, I think it's good for us because we are so controlling that we don't, overthink a session because then you start thinking about oh what times I want to run and what I want to do with this and blah 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 so uh, sometimes it's nice just to be like okay then two minutes like yeah boom okay we're doing this sort of session so yeah, I think it, yeah I think it's actually quite good for us because yeah we tend to you tend to overthink it or maybe you get a bit more nervous before a session because you know what's what's coming for you so yeah I think it's kind of good yeah, it's it. I I agree. Um, I actually would love to to train like that. I think I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, "Oh, I just if I have a long ride, all I can think about is the long ride, and I think about it so much that that I'm just I don't even want to do it. Uh, and in the end, I just do I just do nothing. And uh, it often is that thought about the thing that that is worse than the thing itself. So I guess with you you don't have the option. Like you don't know, oh, I've got to ride five hours tomorrow. So you lay in bed thinking about it and you wake up and like, oh, I just can't be bothered doing that. You sort of just show up and, and it is what it is. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, it's um, it says like when we're away from the group, we obviously get like a, a more detailed sort of schedule. But then, yeah, I can definitely see like, oh, on Friday I have a hard run and a hard swim and blah, blah, blah. So like, yeah, I think sometimes you think three days ahead of what you should be thinking of. So yeah, I think it's it's good in our sort of level that we can um, be a bit more relaxed and such leading into a into a session. Yeah, yeah. Hey, awesome, Nat. This was uh this was great. Um, really insightful chat, um, and and I learn a lot personally. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, and, and I'm really excited to see where the future goes for you because, like I sort of um, said before and alluded to, it was pretty crazy that you didn't get picked for the Olympics this year and. And I was, I was a bit curious about where your head would be at, but like, it's, it's very obvious that, that you're looking forward. Um, 
and, and working hard to to take that um, take that discretionary um, selection out of it in the future. And, and I've got no doubt that that you'll be on the start line in the Commonwealth Games and and probably even the Olympics going after that. So yeah, thanks heaps for coming on. Um, really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks heaps for that, Matt.